This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello and welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, and I'm excited to have multiple guests with me today. Some of my fellow authors of the book, Customer Experience 3, are joining me today to talk about some specific options related to customer experience in a post-pandemic world. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but I want to welcome my four guests and begin by having them introduce themselves. So Mark, would you please kick it off and introduce yourself to our listeners? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Bob. So yeah, this is Mark Hashis. I'm dialing in from Dubai in the UAE in the Middle East. Um, I'm the managing partner of KCA Consultants, a small uh, consultancy specializing in CX strategy and um, improvements of organizations in general. Um, initially background in banking, got into customer experience and quality management in the late 90s, I guess. And since then, um, never got out of it and never looked back. It's awesome. CX is cool. Great, Mark. Thanks for joining us. And Serena. Sure. Uh, my name is Serena Riley, and I am the director of customer experience at SkySpecs, which is a small tech startup in the renewable energy industry out of uh, Michigan uh, in the United States. So excited to be here and chatting with uh, my fellow co-authors. Thank you, Serena and Francesca. Hello, my name is Francesca Tempestini. I am um, Italian um, and the beginning today, I am the new head of sales of the Hotel Elysee in Val d'Europe, France. So I started in uh, customer experience many years ago without even knowing it um, because I was working in, in Disney where everything is customer experience related. And after that, uh, whenever I moved into another jobs in B2B, I always brought with me the luggage that I, uh, that I started collecting when I was there. So ever since, I never left customer experience. Thank you. And Sandra? Hi there. Hi, everyone. Um, how are you? I hope that you're well. I'm Sandra Thompson, and I kind of came to customer experience about 14 years ago. I've got a background in marketing. Uh, right now, I run a consultancy, which is all about emotional intelligence, emotion and customer and employee experience. So I've also done some courses. I'm a coach in emotional intelligence, the first in the UK, and I also do some lecturing. I teach young people and also post-grad how to do customer experience and how to think about some of the psychology, neuroscience, behavioral science um, that we really could benefit from learning all about. So thank you very much for having me. I'm based in the UK. 
Great. Thanks, um, everyone, for those introductions. Listeners, just hearing those initial introductions, pretty exciting about the backgrounds we have. And and this is a little bit by coincidence. So when we do these podcasts with the Customer Experience 3 authors, we will oftentimes uh, just ask for people to volunteer to join us. So this is a great mix of guests and some great background to have you. And so speaking of background, one of the questions I always ask my guests is, um, so did you wake up one day and say, I wanted to be in customer experience or how did you end up being this? I mean, as little children, we might wake up and say, I want to be a lawyer or a a firefighter or um, a teacher, but not always hear that about customer experience. So who wants to share kind of a little bit about how they got to where they are today? Happy to go first, Bob. Uh, this Wonderful, is Serena. Serena. Yeah, so um, when I was going to uh, uh, college, I was studying software applications and programming. So I have a, a very extensive IT background. And my first job right out of high school was doing an IT help desk for internal customers, internal users or employees. Um, and what I discovered is that I just love helping people um, on a daily basis and bringing them value and helping them to solve whatever problems they're having. Um, and as I, you know, my career progressed, I tried many different things in marketing and in software applications and programming, web development, things of that nature. But everything always brought me back to how can I serve other people? Um, And that has always kind of been where I migrate to. Uh, As of late, the last 10 years or so has been frontline customer uh, support and customer operations based. um, And that evolved into me wanting to find another way in which I could serve our organization as well as our customers and discovering that this thing called a customer experience existed. So uh, really started just learning more about that on my own through different networks that we've got here as well, uh, most of which you guys are all a part of as well. And just learning from some of the, uh, the experienced customer professionals that we have in these networks. Um, and that's brought me to the last you know five years actually being formally in the customer experience realm. And I can't think of a better place to, to, to continue growing and developing for myself, for, for our employees, and for our customers. Excellent. Thanks, Serena. Sandra, I, I saw you might want to jump in as well. Thank you. It's a funny one, isn't it? I was fascinated, even at quite a young age, on people and people's behavior. So I went into a career in marketing, and I loved it, but I was frustrated when continually we would be shaping up fantastic messages, and yet we still would have, on occasion, a low customer satisfaction score. And I was just thinking, well, I can't shape everything, or could I influence things? So I heard about this thing called customer experience. I actually flew over to New York and I did a week long course about 16 years ago uh, with, a, with a consultancy then. And I came back to the company I was working with and as if the planets were aligned, they said, you know, you do this marketing role, but we really like you to look at this customer relationship management type project. And I said, I'm not doing that. I wanna do this customer experience thing. 
And so we developed the first, as far as I know, the first customer experience, patient experience program that had been around in the UK. Um, it was transformational. I kind of set that up and got them running. Uh, and then I left and set up a consultancy. So it was very much about how I could influence things for the better. So I totally get what Serena is saying around being a service to others. You know, we are all consumers. And when we think about our own behavior, when we think about the behavior of others, it's just about being human. Um, and I think it's fascinating understanding how people are wired, understanding why people do certain things and how we can make things better um, was certainly the key driver to me. And it, and it remains it remains there now. Excellent. Thank you. Mark or Francesca? Looks like Mark's jumping yeah. in. Yeah, <laughs> probably a quick one, yeah. So um, I started off actually in banking and banking obviously not being the most customer-centric of industries out there. Uh, I pretty early realized when I worked in a branch that um, there's more to customer service than just trying to sell products or uh, to be out there. And um, so I started university actually studying behavioral economics and that showed me a lot of the psychology behind it, The uh, the way that people are not always rational, but um, that there are feelings involved and opinions involved. And uh, then as uh, Serena said, the stars lined up. I got like an internship in the US, worked for one of the most amazing total quality management um, guys out there that Citibank had at that time. And I learned literally everything about TQM and how the holistic uh, management and people-centric and customer-centric uh, management would be in there. And that was in parallel then to the big Six Sigma implementations that Citibank had. So I got exposed to all the quality management areas. And since then, virtually working in operations, in IT, in uh, turning around business units, um, in internal audit, um, I mean, uh, you name it, all middle and back office functions I have done at one point. But the ability to really see it from a bird's eye view and really see it from a from a total quality management and from a behavioral and customer centric approach uh, was really what drove me throughout all my career. And then um, I was lucky enough to end up here in the Middle East, uh, turning around one of the, at that point the largest bank um, here in the UAE uh, on their customer service issues and. Um, when I finished with that project was really, it's like, okay, you have done this for the biggest bank out here, what's next? So I started my own firm. And since then I'm helping uh, many companies out here doing the same thing. So it's really um, not necessarily that I woke up one day as a child, I wanted to be a CX manager, but having been exposed to all the areas where the problems really happen and seeing that you can change them from within the organization was a pretty cool thing. And that's where I developed on. So that's pretty much the background, how I went through it. Excellent. Thanks, Mark. Francesca. Yes. So, well, my itinerary is pretty strange, at least to me. I started without even knowing that CX was a thing. Um, as a cast member in this Paris, I was uh, trained to work in a certain way from day one. So no matter what position I had in a company, no matter what the division I was working with, I, I had certain 
um, uh, rules, let's say, to uh, or ideas to follow, uh, direction to follow. And I did that for five years. And I worked in guest relation and guest care, guest services where guests are um, clients or customers. So um, everything I, well, most of the position I, I held were related to solving people problems. And I actually loved it. Then I left the company and I went into um, construction, basically, I have been expert manager for 10 years. What happened there is that I went for a marketing training with, a, with my boss one day and the trainer kept talking about the Disney example, the Disney way to business and the Disney Institute. So um, once we went out, my boss asked me to, um, since Disney was such an inspiration for this trainer and he knew that I was, uh, I have been working for Disney for five years, he asked me to give ideas and inputs on what change we could make in our um, in our sector in our you know, in a, in a construction coming from the uh, Disney example that I knew very well. So since I and I, I remember that I had some publications about Disney Institute, so I started researching about that. And uh, for a combination of events, I attended um, a seminar in Paris with the Disney Institute and. Bruce Temkin, the godfather of uh, experience management uh, by Qualtrics. And so I, um, there I realized the customer experience and, and uh, experience management was actually a thing that matched completely with the Disney approach. So from there, I started researching and my journey into customer experience became a thing because even though I was still working as an expert manager, I actually started giving inputs on what we could do better in any department of my company to go toward the client and to understand what it wanted and to make little changes in our culture. So uh, from there, I met other people working in the community by LinkedIn and I am starting um, uh, being invited to podcast and I ended up writing a chapter about uh, the relation between um, the Disney way and uh, of customer experience and especially employee experience and uh, any other uh, business um, in the book that you mentioned customer experience three uh, so today I'm joining um, in other sector again, uh, I'm going to be head of sales. I am head of sales in, uh, in a hotel, hospitality. And uh, of course, that is very much, uh, well, a customer is the, the, the heart of uh, hospitality. So I am going to continue my research and, and uh, apply my principles in, uh, in this new position. Excellent. Thank you all for sharing that. Uh, I, I, every time I ask this of guests, I'm always fascinated by the careers that people have experienced to get them where they are today. So let's jump into our topic today, which um, is really great that we have guests that are really from across the world and have experienced the pandemic in many different ways. And what, what I thought about in terms of this topic was, uh, as, as you know, as we were in the pandemic, as an example, airlines um, touted the fact that they were much cleaner air, uh, airplanes than ever before. And I thought to myself, hmm, if they're cleaner today, I wonder what I was flying in before, right? And so then I thought, well, once we come out of the pandemic, I wonder if they're going back to dirty airplanes or they're going to keep cleaning the airplanes. And so that kind of brought me to the concept of what is it in within the customer experiences, because we saw 
customer exchange expectations change so dramatically as we move through the pandemic. And by the way, I want to be sensitive to the fact that there are areas of the world that still are um, uh, suffering through the pandemic and are not emerging as quickly as other areas. So we, we want to be sensitive to those areas as well. But as we begin to emerge as, as uh, nations across the globe, you know, what are those experiences that we saw that, boy, we'd like to keep? And what are some ex experiences that happened to customers that maybe we, we don't want to keep as we emerge from the pandemic? And what did you see within the pandemic that made you smile in customer experience or made you frown? So that's our topic. I'm going to open it up to our guests to give us their thoughts, and we'll see where the discussion leads us. Uh, Sandra. One thing that, um, thank you, one thing that really struck me was the amount of transparency and a greater amount of authenticity. You know, you see companies apologizing, explaining, describing the situation that they are in and how they're trying to make a difference. Hadn't seen that willingness to be that open in any media at all. And, you know, these were half page adverts in newspapers. These were announcements that were going out on social media. And it really made a difference to me. It made a difference to a number of people out there too. I remember them saying, wow, actually, now they come to say it, our organization's feeling that too, but we haven't gone out to explain the situation we're in. So it kind of felt like people were wanting to describe things that they'd never thought they'd want to share before. So I do hope that that continues where businesses become a little bit, little bit vulnerable in their communications and more open with their customers, because I think it does create more of an emotional connection. Wow, that's, that's a great, um, great comment to start us off, Sandra. And, and you're right, now that you mention it, there, there was that openness and that vulnerability and that authenticity that, that really, is, uh, really is true for many companies. Yeah, I think to add to that, what I would say is that as CX practitioners, you know, a lot of us have always known how important customer feedback is, but getting the organizations to do something with that feedback oftentimes is where we would struggle with creating that action and closing that feedback loop. And I think to, to Sandra's point, being more open and, and transparent allowed people to feel more comfortable with giving that feedback, but it also made it much more uh, of a priority for those organizations to do something with that feedback too, and to create um, a sense of security or, or create that empathy um, that, that the customers needed to feel uh, more safe, more comfortable with the businesses that they, they were interacting with. And I think the pandemic really brought about um, that anxiety, if you will, of the unknown. There was a lot of uncertainty and, and with that uncertainty, it, it breeds, breeds anxiety and fear and worry. And I think that's where we were able to use our 
empathetic voices, our authenticity, and uh, really respond to customers in a way that, that created that comfort for them and created the um, ability to, to connect even deeper. Yeah, let me actually maybe throw some, some sand into this. Um, I mean, we, we all as customers, as well as CX professionals, uh, we're seeing that we had to work together and that everyone was faced with a pandemic and there were like big challenges out there, but we're over a year into this and we're still getting call center queues that are much longer than they were a year ago with the explanation of saying um, due to higher call volumes uh, because of COVID. I mean, if after a year organizations have not been able to adjust to the new normal, whatever that is, um, that's kind of like also a scary thought. And have we actually at customer experience professionals really adjusted to what the customer is looking for? I mean, granted, we have thrown a significant amount of um, IT and digital and everything through there. And it's great to have now uh, Zoom calls and, and, and all the ability to, and the acceptance to, to talk through the new media. But there is still a basic need that uh, people, especially you know, certain target groups or certain personas, want to have a face-to-face -face conversation or want to have someone on the phone and want to have like a real human being to deal with. And um, maybe the the whole pandemic has been also abused by many companies uh, to get away as an excuse for bad service or to enforce on the customer something that under normal circumstances would not be considered good customer experience. So the question really that for me would come up is once the pandemic hopefully will not be over, but um, I mean, COVID is here to stay, but when things open up a little bit more, are the companies then willing to go back to other channels, go back to a more customer centric approach and not only enforce whatever is cheap or good for the organization? And that's like the fear that we as CX professionals, I guess, have to uh, do address inside the organizations. Yeah, Mark, you, I think you're right. And um, COVID accelerated processes that uh, were uh, unknown before or uh, less used. It depends as well of the um, area in which we are. Um, like what I've seen in Italy, for instance, is that now it is normal. To, it, it's possible to find a remote uh, working possibility. Um, companies are open to that, or it is possible to have a remote interview. Uh, so many things have changed because the, all of this, even though it was uh, known, of course, before, but it was not used. It was actually seen as bad. If you want to work from home, is because you want not you don't want to work actually you want to be by yourself and do your own businesses and you want me to pay you so this is something that changed and um, at least here where I am and uh, this is something that is going to stay for a while as you said because COVID is not going to be over very soon um, I hope that um, this uh, on the other hand will not isolate completely um, as in our home we, we are for a while we have been buried at home and uh, with this fact of um, being able to be connected 24 hours a day and to be able to respond immediately. Um, we, we have been um, separated for the rest of the uh, team. Um, we, we know that. I mean, we, we have been over this for a year now and we know that, that this is a risk um, that uh, lies within the COVID, the pandemic situation. Some companies now are 
opening back to offer uh, hybrid positions or give poss possibility to choose uh, what, what we want to do, what employees want to do. Um, but um, it is risky. Um, uh, some companies are uh, just uh, if, um, uh, taking away all the, um, uh, the positions in uh, uh, indoor, let's say, in, uh, in the facilities. Um, and this, uh, the fear is that we, this can actually um, create a, um, a bad experience for, uh, for, the, uh, uh, for the customers later, because whenever the employees are not um, integrated in the team, um, they, what they can provide as experience might not be um, as good as it was before. But this is, I think, the point. You, you, you put this in here by saying not as good as before. What organizations very often have done is literally just transform what they had before into a digital channel. They never sorted out the mess that they had before. They not, did not take it as an opportunity because it was very hastily done to just convert over and have a digital channel. But the processes were still broken. The, the bad customer service was still inside. And it becomes now much more visible because in a digital environment, we expect faster response time. It's much more visible because we can track things. And if that tracking is not there, if the processes are not being performed, if items get broken, if we now have no chance to walk up to someone face-to-face, -to, -face, to complain, to, to deal with a human being, to get that kind of like broken situation fixed again, then we as customers or you know, the customers themselves actually feel less powerful it's it's not good for the customer and yes everyone converted very quick but have they really continued to use it as an opportunity to clean out house and that's really what's missing missing and what should happen by now i mean we're again over a year in this into this I'd like to um, well, put a slightly different lens on this, if I may. So I, I hear what you're saying, Mark, around, you know, we're a year on, we've still got these problems. Why are they not kind of, we should have sorted this out by now. But my perception of this issue is that we now are in a period of time that's known by many as called the great resignation. So there are seas of people who are leaving their jobs uh, and certainly we have burnout and fatigue in contact centres. We have people who have been on furlough, uh, particularly in the UK, people who have been kind of left to get on with it without sufficient communication from their organisations. Uh, and they're fed up with it. And so while we've had this uncertainty, while we've had this situation where lots of organisations have adapted, They've adapted to the thing that faces them at the time, but they're not thinking about the consequence of what has happened. And, you know, the human is sick and tired of dealing with complaints, is sick and tired by not being supported by its organization. So I wonder, I'm curious to know whether the reason why we haven't seen dramatic improvements is because we now have staffing issues in some of these areas because of people leaving. There is the greatest amount of attrition in contact centres now, because quite frankly, they've had enough. Okay, but I mean, we were talking for years about digitization and big data and all the opportunities that the new systems would bring. 
And here came the great opportunity and jokingly people say what, you know, years and years of consultants couldn't do in implementing um, digital transformation, COVID actually did in a quarter. So if the digital approaches and the digitization of our businesses would have been really that great in reducing workload and being so much more efficient and effective, then the people in the call centers shouldn't be stressed out. Everything should go much smoother. Everything should be much more productive. And with the same amount of people, we should do much more work. If companies see that the internal processes are broken and therefore calls uh, volumes rise, then bottom line, they should bring in more staff or should fix the processes. And if the organizations don't do those two things, then bottom line, they're not adapting to the new situation and they're failing. And they're failing in the customer service. So is really the call volume that much higher because of COVID? Or have we reduced staffing and it was an, an easy excuse to kind of like um, reduce our staffing levels because we had now all those beautiful technologies that are apparently not working. So if the processes are broken, then my question again goes back to where are the organizations or when are the organizations going back to fix their, their mess internally? Maybe one day we realize that this is not something that it's going to be, as we said, over now, but it's something that will continue and will create that he's creating a different uh, reality. So my, my um, what I've seen is that, is that many, many companies are just saying, OK, but this is temporary. So even the, uh, the staffing problem is temporary. This is not going to be like this for much longer. Um, so when, when you when you a pandemic brought up all the sets of problems related to processes and and uh, and, and how a company works. But uh, if you think that something is temporary, you don't really um to try to find uh, the best solution or a stable solution. You, you just try to patch it and, and, and see if, how long you can go on with that. Or another scenario is that you have uh, so many patches that you have to concentrate on what is more important first and then um, you, you keep one at a time and you keep working. I guess the, what, what is performing most right now is uh, who has a wider uh, view or at least uh, capacity of and willingness to adapt, um, to adapt and to change completely the mindset of, of how processes are working for a company. All excellent points. Uh, listeners, you're listening to my co-authors of the book, Customer Experience 3, discuss customer experience in a post-pandemic environment and bringing up some excellent points about uh, challenges that companies have in and delivering a better experience. Mark, a couple of things came to mind when you were speaking, although not, uh, not moving to a digital environment, I was um, uh, intrigued by the fact that so many restaurants in the US switched over to take out food to try to survive the pandemic having been closed. And rather than adjusting their menu to a takeout, they, they basically took the um, the food that they had on the menu to be served to you and threw it in a styrofoam container and called it takeout. And yet this was a prime opportunity to rethink their menus, to rethink the food and, um, and present a different experience for customers in a takeout environment. The second thing that comes to mind in hearing you all talk is, you know, oftentimes we would say in high growth companies that high growth covers a lot of mistakes. 
And perhaps what the pandemic did is it exposed a lot of organizations' process failures that were covered up before due to growth or other factors, but now we really have to deal with them. And, and it's unfortunate to hear that more companies aren't dealing with them based on, based on our experiences. What other uh, thoughts do you have about pa the pandemic as we conclude this part of our podcast before we move on to another topic? So kind of uh, bring some of these points together and to maybe expand upon Sandra's um, note on the this resignation um, era that we're coming into. I think this is where um, we're going to see the aftermath of the pandemic really start to shake out. And I think those, as Francesca said, that were willing to adapt to the environment and to their customer needs and expectations. Um, have probably more likely succeeded and are doing okay at this point than those that have just continued, as Mark said, to, to just digitize what wasn't working perhaps as well as it should have been previously. I think this is going to prove the time in which um, organizations are going to have to take a deeper look at both how they're serving their employees and how they're serving their customers. I think with this resignation era, you're going to see the lack of putting employees first who are serving the customers next. Um, and I think that's where, you know, to, to bring it back to one of the original points of the discussion, this is all, whether you're in customer experience or not, this is all about the human experience. And how can we as, as individuals, as organizations, as communities, come together to create uh, better experiences in all things, as opposed to just the thing that's going to serve our business. Serena, thanks for bringing up that point that Sandra made about the great resignation. I, I've heard that comment as well. And it's intriguing to me that companies now, again, I'm speaking from a US lens, but companies in the US are now deciding uh, we're either going to leave our employees hybrid or we're going to do a excuse me, leave our employees remote, or we're going to do a hybrid model, or you have to come back in the office. It feels a little bit like we are focused on the wrong problem. Uh, we're not focused on the employee experience, but we're just trying to figure out uh, either they have to come back in the office or they have to go to a hybrid or stay remote. It seems like it's not being sensitive to the employees. And I'm wondering, Sandra, what your, your thoughts on that, having mentioned what I've heard, as I said, the great resignation is upon us. It's a fantastic point and it's really live right now. I mean, reading about the open letter that employees from Apple wrote uh, to Tim Cook, you know, they were revolting. You know, they, they had a revolt on their hands uh, when Tim Cook said, yeah, we've really got to come back. You know, you can understand the reason why they've, they've invested billions into their new offices. You have a whole bunch of people who are thinking about the spaces that they're leasing and how they want people to be there. And I think you are right in saying that we're looking at it from completely the wrong lens. The fact is that people in the main are happier, they're healthier, they are more productive, they have better connections when they work how they want to work. 
we've had this freedom now, you know, we've had this opportunity to get into a groove. Some people do want to go back to the office and that is completely great. But other people have created a life for themselves where they have more time to do leisure pursuits. They don't have the commute. You know, someone mentioned to me the other day and actually this guy works for Shopify. He's a director of customer service for, for Shopify. And he says, what is the point in you packing up your laptop and your mobile phone to do a three hour round commute only to go to an office to open your laptop and use your mobile from a desk in a location where the people that you don't even work on a project with are sitting? We've got to think about the purpose of what we want people to do. Why would I come to an office space? I might come because I physically want to see people to problem solve more easily, but ultimately we're missing out and, and organizations will lead their staff to repel to go to companies that give them that freedom because we've it's been proven that it works. So I, I think I think all the points that have been made so far are right. How do you get the best out of your people? How do the people take this opportunity to be empowered? And how do they force the agenda to create a work environment that is best for them? And Sandra, I think, I mean, you're right. Um, it's definitely good for the employees and everyone likes it. I mean, I'm working from home for, for most of the time anyway, because I have my own firm. So I know what the benefits are. The question that, again, I would ask is, when the people are working and they're working happy, are they actually working on the right things? So we wouldn't have the problem of customers complaining that they can reach anyone, that they're not getting the cases done, that they're sitting too long in call center queues, uh, that they're not able to escalate to the right people, that the times to get something done have significantly increased. We wouldn't have those problems if really the productivity and everyone would work on the right things. So I'm not saying you're wrong. You're absolutely right. The people are better at working from home. What I'm questioning is, are the organizations capable of managing the people, managing the workflow, managing the processes, managing the outcomes for the customer adequately if people are working from home? And I mean, I've worked in both environments. And if I can walk over, if there's an exception case coming up, the one in 10, one in five, one in 20 cases, that is a problem case. I can walk over to someone and immediately be in their face and say, can you please solve this because it's urgent? If someone is working from home at their own time and might at that particular moment do the laundry or go to the fridge, they're working, they're available, but they're not immediately available. Are they really able to push those cases through? And is there maybe where people hide behind unavailability, hide behind emails and, and add to this or kind of like slow down the whole process chain behind it? I think, I think you've got some valid points there, but I think we're missing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is this, organizations that are fully remote. And what I mean by that are organizations that have been designed with distributed teams in mind, have a different culture, they have a different approach, they have different skills and different accountabilities. And I think if we really think that the way that we can continue to do remote work in adverted commas is to continue to do this emergency remote work, we're fooling ourselves. We need to look at those organizations like Automatic, 
who run 48% of all websites across the planet. We need to look at Basecamp. We need to look at a whole range of organizations that are designed with the distributed team in mind because you don't have those types of disengagement. You don't have the kind of behaviors you're talking about when you design purposefully and you have the right type of managers with the right type of leaders that can empower and trust. Because that's what you're really talking about here, Mark. You're talking about trusting your people to get the work done when you can't see them. And the emergency work that we've been doing, the emergency remote work we've been doing for 16 months, 17 months, is not that in most cases. This is a proper, intentionally designed approach to doing work, because actually doing work can be done anywhere. It doesn't matter where you are. It's the work that gets done and your mindset and the approach that we need to look at. Sandra, I apologize in advance for the bad analogy, but just like I mentioned the restaurant throwing the food into a styrofoam box and calling it takeout, if I understand your, your point, and I think it's a valid one, supporting Mark's comments as well, is we took a bunch of workers and threw them into a remote environment on an emergency basis. Now we have to, if we want them to stay remote, now when we have to do the hard work and that's designed a remote experience for employees. Exactly the point. You know, I've spoken to, uh, they call themselves remote work veterans. They've been doing this for 20 odd years. They've been working remotely for 20 odd years. And they say exactly what you've just said. The hard work starts now because you've got to design with intention of communication charters with the right technologies with the right accountabilities with the right you know how you design this way of working is completely different it's the next phase of the evolution of work I mean it's massive it's like the next thing for work if we choose to take this opportunity and many organizations won't they'll in they'll insist that people go back to the offices, back to whatever normal looks like. Things will never be the same again. And those that force them back to the office are gonna see widespread loss of talent. And that's the issue. We need our talent and they'll lose them to organizations that are designed with the more human aspect in mind. Hey, but I think it's a again, question I mean, of rules. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's a question of rules, I think, because uh, if this is a new environment, if, if, if a company is working in, in a new environment, so it's not just trans adapting, but it's reinventing and transforming, it has to set new rules. So if we are talking, Mark, about operations, so someone that has to uh, respond to the phone because he has the, uh, the operator, for instance. So, um, yes, of course, you, you say um, they might be doing the laundry, they cannot, maybe they're not available, but... Um, if, if, to, if, you, if you select a team and you, um, with them, you sit and you say, okay, you need to hold the line for three hours uh, each. You choose your time and in that time, you're going to be at the phone and that's it. So it's not that because you're, going, you're working from home, it means that you are disconnected from everything that is operational. Um, there are some works, of course, that you cannot uh, do from home uh manual for instance but others um once it's a, once we know that we have to uh, set a situation that is going to be permanent for a while 
you make new rules. That's it. To add to that, I agree. Too, I'm sorry, Serena. Yeah, sorry. Oh, um, no, I was just going to say, I think to add to that, I think the other piece that we've maybe allowed to be lackluster in organizations is communication. And this remote environment forces you to communicate better. And I think that's also an area in which a lot of uh, leaders, people leaders and in, in organizations are having to figure that part out so that allowing this flexibility and allowing this new way of work, you're still able to accomplish the same things. You're still able to set the expectations of how you serve people and, and communicating that and making sure that that's front and center. I mean, don't get me wrong here, and I might come over as pretty negative in this whole situation. Actually, I am coming over pretty negative in this situation. I agree <laughs> At least with you, you recognize it, Mark. No, no, I, I, I totally get it. But yeah, right. see, it's I'm all for it. You know, give the employees more power. There is no need that people need to go into a call center. If the digitization works, let them work whenever they have the time as a virtual call center dial-in at any time. It's much easier to manage shifts. It's easier to split out the work schedule. Uh, people are much more willing to kind of like do the five minutes over or five minutes less at the end of the shifts. It's much better. I mean, don't get me wrong. The question that I have in here, I mean, we're all CX professionals that are supposed to be there to help organization manage through that change process. And we all know that change in organizations is very hard to do. It's not done in a month. It's not done in six months. Change, true organizational change takes one and a half, two years. And here comes my question then. What is the incentive that organizations have to go through that transformation? They have the real estate that they built up for billions of dollars, as Bob rightfully said. They have all the staff there. They have the situation where some banks went back and says, listen, I understand that you want to stay home because of COVID and it's a health risk, but you cannot argue with me to come back, not wanting to come back to the office if at the evening you go out into bars and mask off and celebrate with your friends and you're doing everything except coming to work. So if the organization has not transformed yet, regardless whether they want to change or not, if they have not changed yet, the people, the employees need to take the choice. Do they want to continue working in there or not? And that's the hard choice of being grudgingly going back to the office, to the old normal under the new circumstances after the genie is out of the box or find a new job. But we all know the job market is quite challenging right now. So will there be an over-adjustment? It's like when you give kids sugar for the first time or show them how nice ice cream is or you let them out to a party for the first time. They come back and they want that new normal, that new power all the time. There needs to be a balancing act during the time when the transformation takes place. And here's where the strategic demand for the organization should be to say, okay, Yes, we agree, it will take you a year to change over, but give me the timeline by when you are ready. And that's where the problem is. The organizations are not capable of telling us that because there is no incentive for them to switch over to the new environment. It's more incentive, more, uh, more money that they need to put, more technology, more changes, more uh, taking on risks. And they're saying, it's like, hold on a second, if this is maybe over in half a year, why should I do that? And that balancing act in coming up with the right incentives for the organization, with the right argumentation, why it is a sense, uh, there's business sense behind doing that, that is where we're still failing because we don't have that argument yet. Yes, people are happier. Yes, they might be more productive, 
But, you know, they say, yeah, you may be more productive, but it doesn't pay for all the costs that we have for the office that is sitting there empty. So we need to do a better job to give the argumentation on why it's really a good thing long term and help them through that transformation. That's what I'm actually saying. There's a few things in there, um, I think, you know, so when James Gorman, the, the guy who's in charge of Morgan Stanley, made the point about if you can go into the restaurant in New York City, then you can come into the office. It's missing the point. This is about purpose. What's the purpose of your role? What's the purpose of the work that you're doing? And where is the best place for you to do it? So I hear what you're saying around the time when the transformation is happening. The company makes a decision and it makes it happen. And individuals will need to be accountable for learning some of those new skills that people who are established remote workers already have. There is oodles of evidence to say that people who are established remote workers are happier, healthier, they are more engaged, they stay with their companies longer, they are far more productive, far more resilient, far more effective than people who are in offices, because offices are is a breeding ground for dysfunctional behavior on many occasions. So I think, I, I hear what you're saying, I think the organization just has to make a decision and get on with it because the fact is organizations have survived and many have thrived in the last 16 months. It's to do with maturity. It's to do with self-awareness. It's to do with being bold, courageous and trusting your staff. So I'm, I'm not sure on some of the stuff you said, Mark. I agree with some of it. I, I really not sure about the rest of it. There's no transition time. If people do want the company of others and they have got project work to do where it is faster in their view to come together, because fully remote organizations come together once a quarter or twice a year to do purposeful work and they are making so much more efficiency than people who are in offices. You know, if you've just signed a lease for another five years, then there's the real reason why you want your people to come in. It's got nothing to do with truly being human centered. This is why I love these podcasts, because we have such great debate and great minds and great perspectives from across the globe. And we could probably continue talking about this for quite some time. Unfortunately, we've uh, run out of time with our CX co-authors, our CX professionals. Thank you to Mark, Serena, Francesca, and Sandra for joining me today on this podcast. I feel a sense like we need to have another to continue the discussion, but it's an important one, both from an employee experience, uh, from a customer experience, certainly tied together in how we emerged from the pandemic. Listeners, you've listened, been listening to a great podcast on all things considered CX. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your network and stay tuned for future podcasts with exciting guests like you heard today. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.